Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the importance of co-borrowers, my interview with Sagens Uday Davala and Perry Hilzendager on new servicing platforms and technology, and noticeable decrease in mortgage applications. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Truve. Truve lets applicants verify income, employment, Assets, insurance, and switch direct deposits. Unlock the open power of finance with Truve. There's an old LO joke telling their client that when you're buying a house, be sure to do it with a significant other and make sure that one of you has good credit. That's why it's called significant. Sign if I can't. <laughs> Everyone in our business knows that owning property is a great way to build wealth. Although between elevated inflation, stubborn mortgage rates, and general economic uncertainty, though one can argue that the future is always uncertain, right? It may not feel like the right time to plunge into the housing market. But every LO should know that if past patterns hold true, inflation can actually boost home ownership, and people who are living through this time may be more inclined to buy a house in the future. A fine selling point when an originator is speaking with a potential client. That patience doesn't seem to extend to the markets. And that's a shame because after betting on lower interest rates in 2024, investors are starting to wonder if the Fed's next move will actually be up, not down. Recent Fed rhetoric may suggest that rates are sufficiently restrictive, but inflation is proving to be sticky amidst a resilient labor market. Pricing in Fed funds futures now suggests the first of four 25 basis point rate cuts this year will happen at the June 28th FOMC meeting nearly in line with the Fed's dot plot projections from mid-December. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Sagens Uday Davala and Perry Hilzendager to talk about Sagens' new servicing platform and technology in the servicing space in general. Uday Davala is Chief Technology Officer for Sagen. He's led technology transformation, digital technology development, information security management, and regulatory compliance strategy in the housing industry for more than two decades. Perry Hilzendager is the EVP of servicing at Sagen, a 30-year veteran in the consumer finance and mortgage industry. He spent time with HomePoint as president of servicing and Wells Fargo lending in a variety of leadership positions, including head of retail operations, head of servicing operations, senior vice president of default services, and senior vice president of real estate servicing. Uday, I want to start with you. And before we get into Sagent specifically, I want to talk about industry challenges when it comes to servicing. We were talking offline and you mentioned some things like old tech and too much fragmentation. Can you explain these challenges in the servicing space? Yeah, the challenges in the servicing space is a complex ecosystem from a servicer perspective because the current, the, the two uh, commercially available servicing platforms, one of them is ours. And you know, we're proud of our system, but not necessarily, you know, we don't think that it's great, right? Um, is um, they're all based on legacy technology and they were built a long time ago, but with primarily payments and recording payments as a core functionality. Those core systems haven't evolved with the changing regulatory need and the consumer expectations. So what that caused was um, the servicing operators having to spend incredible amount of time, capital, um, and deal with complexity of trying to build systems like their own consumer front ends, their own you know, reporting systems, their own compliance systems, 
um, and and everything else in between, like you know, income calculators or there, there's so many systems. And we 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 did. Uh, if you look at our customer base and even others in the industry, um, the potential eco servicing ecosystem could be anywhere from fifty to three hundred systems or components that they're using from a servicing functionality perspective, both on the front end, is in the call center backend as in the servicing operator or the default operator perspective. And, and that's a challenge that the industry is facing today, right? Is this complex ecosystem that is has evolved over the last 20, 30 years, which is trying to keep up with the regulations and the changing industry, but the core systems haven't evolved. Um, and that's a big challenge that is, uh, that is kind of ha hampering the industry from moving forward from an innovation perspective. And Sagem runs a very competitive servicing platform. You know, Mr. Cooper and Freedom are clients. You have about 14 million loans. But it, it, the current platform is based on the mainframe loan, loan serve. It's based on a mainframe called loan serve. Uh, how are you planning to modernize servicing? You're rebuilding from the ground up here. What, what is the next iteration your uh, customers are about to experience? Yeah, loan service uh, is the core servicing system that we offer. It's made, it's based it's mainframe based application. Um, it's a very robust platform, you know. But uh, and then our consumer and default applications are based on uh, modern technologies and based on cloud. You know, however, what, the way we're addressing this is we're effectively rebuilding a, a entirely new application ground up, fully cloud based, based on modern technology with workflow. Um, end-to-end data and uh, modern UX for both the consumer and the operator, um, completely new, all the way ground up, um, brand new platform. There's a lot of cool capabilities in this new platform, but for for now, let's talk about uh, kind of this unified experience, whether they're, whether that's for the operator, UX, UI, the workflow, the data model. Uday, can you speak to those things and, and what benefits they're going to bring? Yeah, so let's start with the unified uh, operator UX, which is the user experience. That the thing that the uh, you know either the front end operators, as we call this, customer service representatives, or anybody else in the ecosystem, uh, whether you're an escrow specialist or an investor reporting specialist, or um, you know a loss mitigation underwriter or a foreclosure bankruptcy operator, anybody in the entire ecosystem. You know the the user experience that we're building is is very modern, uh, very easy to learn. So from a learning curve perspective, we're not dealing with any green screens, which uh, are legacy technology screens, right? It's all modern, um, and also workflow enabled. So you know you get uh, tasks assigned to you based on what your role and your skill set and your uh, your profile is. Um, and you can either pull the next task that uh, is assigned to you, or you can be in a group uh, team that uh, can, you know, uh, choose which tasks that you want to work on. So the system is uh, is very intuitive in terms of how an operator can work. Um, and Sigent is uh, is not only building a modern operator experience with workflow in it, but we're also embedding a bunch of AI in that in terms of being able to guide the operator. Um, and by giving prompts and by predicting what uh, the next step needs to be or how to interact with the op you know, consumer and so on. So that, the, the, that's kind of the, the top of that. What is enabling that experience and what is enabling that uh, seam, uh, seamless uh, operator experience across the whole ecosystem um, is uh, an end-to-end -end workflow that sits on top of a, a large data model, right? You know, 
um, there's one data set and one uh, you know unified data model that sits for the entire servicing system, both from uh, front end to the back end. And because of the the nature of the way this is all built, right, it it drives that efficiency in terms of how do we how do we fire off these workflow tasks? How do we enable the operator to do what the thing that they need to do right now, instead of stumbling across multiple systems and multiple screens? Perry, I want to bring you in quickly <clears throat> here and ask how this translates to the servicers. I know you had mentioned to me there's a robust self-service environment, uh, but what are some of the benefits for servicers here? Yeah, there's a few things that really come to mind as it, as you get into the operation and translate what Uday has explained, you know, as the as the new functionality. So I, I'll start with the customer experience, and we're providing the the customer to really self educate and self serve at a much higher degree than any of the systems and platforms today. So you're 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 giving that customer the anytime anywhere opportunity to get into their mortgage, understand it. You know, make the adjustments and changes, and really tailor uh, the programming to their preferences. Whether that be, you know, payments or understanding escrow, uh, they may be in a situation where they want to do a refinance uh, through our servicing system, or in some cases, you know, they'll be in a situation where they are looking for hardship relief uh, due to some uh, unforeseen circumstances. So, really, uh, allowing the customer to drive the servicing experience. When that translates, though, and and, and they need to uh, have uh, um, the servicer's assistance, that user experience that Uday uh, identified earlier of simplifying the process to a singular platform, if you will, and not having to work across multiple uh, programs, multiple functions. Um, I liken this to you know learning a new foreign language every time you open up a new platform to understand it because each of them operates in a, in a little bit uh, different uh, methodology. Each of them uh, is viewed in a different format. And so uh, as the servicing uh, operator is in there looking through the process, they're having to orient and, and look at like, what does this mean? And they're on the phone with the customer and they're trying to translate uh, a very uh, difficult experience by going to a unified platform. It consistently presents the information in real time to the user so they can address the, the customer's uh, situation. The other thing about this system is that um, it really turns things uh, uh, sort of topsy-turvy, if you will. You know, in today's environment, much of what the servicers do is manually driven, uh, and they have some automation to assist it. In this system, it's automation first, and exceptions are really manually based then. So uh, the system is driving the workflow, the system is driving the activity. Uh, and when it isn't uh, able to uh, address it, it, you know, it'll, it'll pause and set it aside and have a, uh, a user come in and say, you know, you need to transact here on behalf of the customer. I've taken care of, of everything else, uh, you know, in the process. The compliance tool uh, is really, as I look at compliance over this industry, it's it's a must-have. It's a ticket to play. Uh, these are areas where you just simply cannot be wrong. And in today's environment of being reactive to the process, being reactive to the procedures, uh, this tool comes in and automates it. And it's looking at it on a regular basis, whether that be hourly or daily, uh, to ensure that you are compliant with not only the regulations, but also the investor rules uh, and ensuring that you take actions appropriately uh, to be compliant. 
How does that translate overall uh, from an uh, efficiency and effectiveness perspective? You know, it takes out a tremendous amount of cost for the servicer. Um, back to the self-served borrower is taking care of much of the information that in today's environment, the services are, are having to handle, uh, such as loss mitigation applications, the borrowers filling out that application and then submitting it for evaluation. The AI tools that Uday alluded to earlier are scraping that information and inputting it directly into the tools for uh, the servicing employee then to make decisions on Overall, it just simplifies the process. It makes the servicing operation much more efficient, much more effective. Perry, you mentioned something that sounds really interesting to me, and that's real-time compliance. Can you speak briefly on the importance of real-time compliance in a system like this? Yeah, so I'll I'll speak to it via an example. And the one that I always think about is there's a regulation where... uh, in a scenario where a customer is coming up on 45 days past due, there's a requirement to notify that customer of the delinquency level. And so there's a a notification that goes out via email and or by mail. And being real time in this situation, you can set it up so that it'll allow the operator to send it up to a certain point. And then the system will override and say, you know, this customer is now 44 days past due. If we wait another day, um, we're going to have, you know, an error uh, or a compliance gap. And so the system will send it automatically and it's proactive in, in its nature by understanding the rules uh, and, and overlaying that across the entire portfolio of all regulations, of all investor rules to ensure that you're getting it right. And if necessary, the system takes those actions. Maybe I should back up here for a minute. Uday, uh, let's talk about real-time capabilities. What do you view as the importance of having real-time capabilities on a servicing platform? The new platform, Dara, right, uh, from a real-time pay- uh, perspective, is way beyond just payments. Because most often when people talk about real-time, they're just talking about payments. Uh, but payments is is kind of pretty basics from a customer perspective, right? From a, a consumer who is used to doing a lot of things real-time these days, you know, whether that is, uh, you know, they're tracking their pizza real time or they're tracking their Uber real time or even just transactions happening real time. <clears throat> so in Dara, what we are doing here is uh, not only are payments real time. So that means when a customer comes and posts a payment online, it updates your back end ledger, you know, in real time basis. There's no longer on batch processing. But everything that triggers off of that or anything else is also real time. So is there any workflow that needs to happen because a customer pasted a payment, right? In the example where, uh, let's say this is a hardship scenario, and then there's a there's a last mitigation application being processed. Now the customer comes and makes a payment. You know, what is the impact of it being real time and how, how will it manage the workflow so that the backend underwriter who's looking at that last mitigation application in real time knows that there's a payment that came in and then they need to adjust their process, right? So those kinds of capabilities um, is what enables this real-time thing, uh, this real-time uh, feature. Um, in addition, earlier, uh, Perry talked about compliance. Uh, the real-time nature of the platform is what is enabling the real-time compliance as well. So think of that from a compliance perspective. If you pull up a loan, right, in a real-time basis, can you actually have a view 
of everything that that particular loan is compliant with or things that it may may not be compliant with? For instance, it, are, are there things that are potentially issues that are coming up in the next 5, 10, 15 days based on the rules and regulations of either the investors or you know, or anything else that's guiding this compliance of that particular loan? Um, and that's what is driven by the real-time nature of the platform. And that that core, most people don't understand what real time means and what the what the capabilities real time enables. But in Dara, um, you know, real time compliance, real time workflow, all of those are enabled by that particular feature. There's a lot of discussion in the industry about end to end digitization, and this Dora is a end to end servicing system. Can can you explain to listeners what that means, Uday? Yeah, so Dara is uh, is you know we, we it's it's the industry's first end-to-end servicing platform, right? And it is uh, it obviously enables the full digitization of the work of the process end-to-end. And what we mean by end-to-end is you know it's one single platform for your operators, um, and uh, and you know and obviously from a consumer perspective, having one platform enables lots of uh, cap- self-serve capabilities. It's one system, one unified system with one workflow. Uh, from a servicing operator perspective that they're using, they no longer have to switch between, you know, 10, 20, 30 systems to do their, to do the work that is required from a servicing operator perspective. Uh, part of the, the capability that we are enabling is also we are automating a lot of the functions that traditionally cannot be automated, primarily because, again, they're using multiple systems and it's hard to automate processes across multiple systems. But because Dara is one unified platform, we can actually automate a lot of the functions today that are manually done by servicing operators. Uh, and that, that improves the efficiency as well. Uh, from a digitization perspective, um, as uh, Perry mentioned, and we talked about AI, we are using uh, you know, very sophisticated AI to, automate, uh, to not only automate functions, but also digitize uh, uh, all the documents that are coming into the platform. Uh, we, we will automatically identify deta- uh, uh, index and uh, extract data from these documents and feed that into the system and drive workflow based on that as well. So, so that's one, um, one perspective on what an end-to-end system means for us. Perry, the old standard used to be QA, QC, but I want to ask you, at what point will servicers start getting left behind in terms of technology, technological adoption, those sorts of things. It sounds like this end-to-end platform door is certainly a, a leap forward in the servicing space. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that with the capabilities that Dara is providing to the servicing market, you will see a gap between what servicers can provide customers, but also what how competitive they can be in the marketplace when they're looking at you know purchasing uh, portfolios or receivables because of the efficiency, because of the effectiveness, because of the service that they're providing the customers and the ability to retain those customers as a result of that experience, they will quickly distinguish themselves from others who are still in more of that manual mode uh, where they're having to utilize, you know, things such as emails, utilizing, uh, you know, manual updates, manual programming uh, into the process where this real-time data, real-time compliance programming will put them in a position uh, to set aside some of those costs 
that they've experienced in the past and begin to pass that along, not only to the customer and providing better products and services and experiences, but also in an opportunity to grow their portfolios. And finally, before I let y'all go today, this isn't necessarily only for customers, but it's also for investors. Perry, can you speak to some of the benefits for investors of Dara? Yes. So many of the things that we explained earlier as it relates to you know the benefits that are provided to the customer as well as the servicer relate to the investors. So we think about things such as real time, and I take us back to uh, our experience through the forbearance programming uh, during you know the, the the time period for which you know we, we went through the the COVID hardship pro, uh, programs. The investors were asking a lot of questions about what was working, what was effective, um, how can they make adjustments to this to address what's happening in the marketplace, and in many cases, uh, as a servicer, we were weeks and in, in in some other circumstances months out before we could provide that type of information uh, back to the investors. This gives us that real time information to pass back to them and help them understand how is how are the programs that they have addressing the customers' needs? Are we successful with them? Are they being accepted by uh, the customers uh, and making those changes real time because we're providing them data and information uh, from today's actions instead of the last 60 to 90 days worth of information. Yes, a unified experience in real time that that automates things, it's self-service. It sounds great. And it has compliance capabilities on top of that. Perry, Uday, thank you both very much for your time today. I enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you thank very you, much. Rob. Looking for more insight into when the Fed is going to start cutting rates? Investors will receive more clues into the Fed's thinking with the release of the minutes from January's Federal Open Market Committee meeting this afternoon. The minutes are expected to clarify how much more data indicating inflation is falling the Fed's policymakers want to see before starting to reduce interest rates, as well as the discussion plan for the upcoming March FOMC meeting about slowing the pace of the Fed's balance sheet reduction. The Consumer Price Index report last week caused traders to walk back their bets on rate cuts this year. And the producer price index components that feed directly into core PCE should see further headwinds before falling. Chair Powell remained vague at his most recent press conference following the January decision about what exactly the Fed's preconditions for rate cuts are, which suggests FOMC members still disagree about the issue. In terms of price action, bond markets began this holiday shortened week with a slight rally on a lighter day for the economic calendar, which only featured the release of leading indicators. The leading economic index fell in January, making for 23 months that this composite of leading indicators warned of an economic downturn that has yet to materialize. There has been good news for Americans, though. Last week we learned that consumer sentiment ticked up again, while broader goods prices and energy continued to fall. Year-ahead inflation expectations ticked up to 3.0%, still within the pre-pandemic 2.3% to 3.0% range. However, the longer-term inflationary expectations remained at 2.9%, which is still above the pre-pandemic range of 2.2% to 2.6%. Keep in mind that this week ahead will feature a lot less economic data than last week. With mortgage rates moving back above 7% last week to return to the highest levels since mid-December, today's economic calendar kicked off with mortgage applications decreasing 10.6% from one week earlier, 
according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's Weekly Mortgage Application Survey. Fed speakers, the aforementioned minutes from January's FOMC meeting, and Treasury supply comprise the rest of the calendar today. Atlanta Fed President Bostick and Fed Governor Bowman will both deliver remarks before the minutes from the January 30th and 31st meeting are released in the afternoon. Regarding supply, Treasury will auction $60 billion of four-month bills, $28 billion of reopened two-year FRNs, and $16 billion of 20-year notes. We begin the day with agency MBS prices, a few ticks or 30 seconds better than Tuesday evening, the 10-year yielding 4.25 after closing Tuesday at 4.28%, and the two-year yielding 4.58%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. The barman says, we don't serve time travelers in here. A time traveler walks into the bar. (laughs) Maybe that's better in writing. Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Truve. Truve lets applicants verify income, employment, assets, insurance, and switch direct deposits. Unlock the power of open finance with Truve. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.